Hello. You've reached another episode of the Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. Today, Andy interviews Lori Woodward, a local author. Also, Andy gives his take on the recent Planning Commission hearing on Santa Maria General Plan alternatives. So it will be a great show. Stay tuned. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Andy. I have been watching on television the parade celebrating Mexican Independence Day in East Los Angeles, and I've been enjoying all the dancing and the costumes. And I've also been seeing flags for sale on Broadway, uh, the Mexican flag, and then the mashup of the Mexican-American flag. So it's a time to celebrate our common heritage, and also to celebrate. As listeners of the Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast know, I have been following the update of the City of Santa Maria general plan. Uh, This is something that has been long overdue. I don't think, I think some of the elements are as old as the 70s. And boy, I am impressed with the professionalism and the city staff and the and the quality of the supporting documents and the deliberation with the planning commission. So it's really been a treat to watch local government in action. Uh, First, uh, the planning commission met uh, this last week and, and really almost the future is now because we have the mall uh, owned by the Vernon group. And, and there's been a lot of talk about putting higher density mixed use downtown and we have the gateway project which is on the let's see that is the north west side of broadway and maine on last week the planning commission looked at the alvin newton apartments which is on the southeast corner of maine and broadway and this is quite an ambitious project it is six floors uh, 70 feet in height which is the same as the high rise across the street. And they're taking some of that mall area and putting in housing. And this is really a trend that is going on uh, all over the country with these, this excess commercial mall space that is being turned into residential. And also they're looking at the old Mervyn's building for commercial as, for residential as well. So in the midst of this plan, where they're looking at high density in, in the Broadway and main area, we're already seeing these higher density projects uh, in the mall area. Now, the mall is also relocating a Memorial Plaza. And so that's gonna be incorporated into the design. Uh, it really looks like a lot of walls to shelter from the wind. And also there's an ample amount of commercial space on the bottom. And it looks like about 82 units. Uh, These are one bedroom and two bedroom residential units. So this is part of this trend where um, in order to revitalize the mall area in the downtown, uh, we're bringing more residents. And that's usually a vehicle to kind of help bolster and support our downtown. As part of this process, the city looked at three land use alternatives. Alternative A uh, 
really was more the status quo. Uh, most of the city is a low density single family. And traditionally, Santa Maria has expanded through annexation. And so alternative A focuses on maintaining our single family character and also looking to annex farmland, both to the east and to the west. Alternative B was an infill option, which really didn't contemplate a lot of annex, any annexation. And what they're doing is they're taking the Broadway and main corridors and incorporating higher densities. That would be uh, 35 units an acre. I think currently the maximum for the multifamily is 22 units per acre, uh, going up to uh, going up to four and five floors and 100 dwelling units per acre in the in the downtown. The third alternative, alternative C, was a mixture of both. It included annexation of about a thousand acres to the east, no annexation to the to the west, and it proposed some lower densities, uh, 35 dwelling units for, per acre, uh, as opposed to option B. Uh, and But both option B and C have this intensified corridor in the Broadway and main areas. And the goal is, if you provide more opportunities for housing, more opportunities for affordable housing in the downtown area and the corridors, that it reduces the amount of vehicles traveled, the walkability, the access to services for the residents, and, and housing affordability. There was a little drama at the Planning Commission because two of the commissioners, Commissioner Robert Dickerson, appointed by Mayor Alice Patino, and Tim Seifert, appointed by Carlos Escobedo, were in favor of Alternative A. And that, I mean, the upside of that is that's what Santa Maria is. It's expanding with single family. The downside of this is it's taking up valuable agricultural land and it is increasing vehicles mile travel. More traffic, um, more fire stations, uh, police, providing infrastructure for a city that's growing especially on the east side of the freeway where our whole community is is divided by Highway 101, which creates challenges to provide infrastructure to the east part of the city. And there were a number of environmentalists. Uh, SB Can was there. A number of citizens testified that they wanted a more environmentally sound plan that reduced the amount of traffic and cars. So that would be alternative B, infill. Also, I there was some really good testimony about what's going on on the northwest side of town. That's where I teach. And uh, that is Council Member Escobedo's district that they are just really lacking in infrastructure, parks, um, our, our schools, I found out that in our school district, the average attendance is 800 kids per school, which is double uh, 
the school sizes in Santa Barbara or Lucia Mar. So the argument related to the northwest side is, why would you open up a lot of vacant land and invest in parks and schools when you need to invest in our existing urbanized areas? Also, by the way, uh, the Santa Maria Bonita School District was testifying and they recommended alternative C because they are looking at needing at least five new schools and they need 10 acres and they're saying that they just don't have the sites in the existing city footprint, which I can totally see. Also, the high school district testified at the hearing that they are looking at a new high school uh, in the Prescott Park area. Now, as I look at it, I, I kind of want to give my take. And um, first of all, I am so impressed. I mean, geez, we, the state is telling us we need about 10,000 dwelling units. And they're proposing in alternative C, half single family and half multifamily uh, for a city that really doesn't have a lot of apartments. I mean, we have them scattered throughout the city. Boy, that is a big shift. I totally see those uh, the arguments for walkability and and reducing traffic congestion. Um, I really think that we need to push those densities high in the uh, downtown area and on those corridors. I'm not sure that we're quite ready to kind of jump into totally embracing uh, apartment living. I don't know. I, I think that if you look, this is a 2040. I think you almost need to look beyond, start having some projects and, and having people comfortable living in apartments. And really apartments only, only serve, will serve a certain segment of the population. Certainly uh, for seniors, myself, that, you know, is entering retirement age. I've already said on this podcast, I would love to live at the mall, right where you didn't have to drive a car. Uh, we uh, also, the affordability factor and those young couples that, you know, want to live in that downtown area. But we also want to attract uh, a diversity of population. And I just don't know if we're going to be able to break our, break our love affair with the single family home. And, um, you know, I was I was listening to Robert Dickinson's argument uh, basically against Alternative B, and he said, I don't understand infill. Infill is going to happen anyway. And uh, yes, you are right. We are going to get some car washes and but this uh, but providing a higher opportunity for density, which is what they're looking at in the Broadway main area. Maybe that's going to kickstart some projects where it wouldn't be viable at a lower density. Also, the chair of the planning commission, Tim Seifert, he really, really put it um, in stark terms, the choices that we are trying to make. And one of them is, well, what is Santa Maria life? I mean, I guess we have a diversity of people, but there's a certain amount of people that want that backyard, that want that barbecue, and, and those hummingbirds. And so that really would be an argument that we need to grow to do some sort of annexation. 
And so I really feel like alternative C strikes that, strikes that balance, that we have some growth. We have some growth for those master plan communities, a little bit of space for the schools and parks. They're also talking about on the east side of the freeway, having industrial, having commercial, having all the services that would support that population. I live on the east side of the freeway and there's I have the shortstop market. So I would appreciate a little bit more amenities on the east side of the freeway. So in summary, I, I agree with the majority. Three of the planning commissioners voted in favor uh, of alternative C. And I think it strikes a good balance. Um, we need a diversity of housing. Um, and also, we definitely need some intensification in the downtown area. And so that provides a range of affordabilities of housing types. I'm, I'm just because you zone something for mixed use, the next step is for people to come in and, and get the capital and to want to make those projects happen. So in my experience, uh, financing mixed use has been more challenging. Commercial space, uh, as they said in the hearing, we're just predicting in the future what the viability of commercial is going to be. So, so I, I hope that we're going to get some of these dense projects and we're already seeing two of them. And, Alternative C would provide some single family and more of that traditional development. So it was a, a great hearing to see. I liked that we have kind of this, you know, different viewpoints um, and it kind of represents uh, uh, kind of the older guard of Santa Maria and this new generation of leaders. And, and, and so the next step for the general plan is to send it over to the city council. So it's going to be an exciting process. here with Lori Woodward and she is a local author here living here on the Central Coast. Good afternoon Lori. Thank you so much for having me Andy. Now it seems like if I'm uh, if I'm wrong it seems like a, your novels all focus on this children's fantasy genre. Is that is that your main 
wheelhouse? Most most of my books are children's fantasy, yes. My Artania series and my Forest Secrets are children's fantasy, but I have also written two adult novels. I'm Finding Joy, which is a coming-of-age novel. And then, of course, I co-wrote a biography about a man who befriended a wild dolphin um, called uh, Dean and Jojo as well. First of all, I was able to listen to, on Audible, um, I listened to The Pharaoh's Cry. And it's not like I would stumble upon uh, this genre being... Being an adult, it seems to be more for teenagers, but I was just so impressed by the quality of the writing and the characters and the plot. Oh, thank you. And this stands up against Harry Potter any day, so I was just so (laughs) pleased. I I hope you don't mind to be comparing you to, you know. Oh, I'm I'm honored, yes. (laughs) Well, it reminds me of, there's a little Star Wars at the end with the ceremony and then there's a little lion, the witch in the wardrobe, and mm-hmm. and a lot of lot of action. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, yeah. I try to put myself in the minds of children when I'm writing. I try to think if I was a kid, what would be fun? Well, yeah, battling monsters on a skateboard would be a blast. <laughs> so, so that's where I go. Yeah. Well, I we were talking earlier that I just felt like I didn't get a lot of creative writing training in the California public schools in the 80s and the 70s. And and it sounds like you were you always attracted to fiction and have you been writing fiction? Um, well, I always read a lot as a kid. I was I always had my nose in a book. And when I was a young child, I started writing poetry and I was on the school paper and that sort of thing. And I got a lot of positive feedback for my writing then. And I was also journaling, and I and I just found that I got such uh, peace from from writing, that it's something that I've I've done my my entire life. Started about ten, yeah. Well, in looking at your background, uh, you remind me of my dad because he was more in the right-brained um, area. He was uh, maybe a little bit of a daydreamer, <laughs> uh, and and. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to be of that ilk. And, and um, you know, these mm-hmm. kids have different needs. And sometimes our school system really doesn't really promote and nurture this. Well, when I was growing up, I had to stay after school for daydreaming. <laughs> I used to get in trouble. My mom used to get so mad at me. You have to stay after school again. You're daydreaming again. And I just couldn't help it because I would just go off to these wonderful places in my mind. And, and it made me happy. Yeah. And now was there, were you uh, trying to escape school or was it just kind of a natural? It was, it was, it was natural. You know, I would see something in my mind. It would take my mind to another place and and then that would lead to something else, which is very similar to the writing process. Yes. And you, I, do you write in the, in the mornings? Yes. I get up uh, an hour and a half or so before work and and I write every, every day. I I take a couple of days off a year, but uh, it's, it's pretty much a daily discipline. Well, I've been yes. working on uh, comedy writing, and that's what they tell you, is they tell you to write every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I've noticed is that uh, writing is one of those activities where, man, you really, it takes 100% focus, mm-hmm. and kind of everything kind of melts away when you're in that's the That's what I love about it. Yeah, everything melts away. It's just you and the words and the story and the characters and you're not thinking about grading papers or being in the classroom or the stresses of life. 
Instead, you're in this wondrous world and that you get to create. I love it. Yeah, that has been exciting to me as Mm -hmm. a person that's just diving into this. Yeah, cool. It seems like you have an agenda here, Mm -hmm. and you've been a longtime activist in the anti-bullying arena. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your work on that. Yes. Well, I would have to say that all of my books have that theme. That there's an anti-bullying theme and a theme of being true to yourself. And I was bullied terribly as a child. Can you tell us a little bit more? Was it one specific person? Because I have a good story, too. Yes, yes. Well, there was a group of kids. When I was in junior high, I made the terrible mistake of bringing my Scooby-Doo lunchbox on the first day of school. In seventh grade, you're not supposed to. And I was labeled a freak and and a nerd and a dog. And there was the group of the popular girls. And every day, they made my life miserable. And the, the worst was there was a little boy I had a crush on. I was sitting next to him, and I was, you know, very naive and very innocent. And they came up and said, make him kiss, make him kiss. And they tried to grab his head, and they tried to get, grab my head and force us together. And, and it was just, it was horrific. They made my entire seventh grade just a living hell, you know, and half of eighth grade as well. And I was very shy. I was not assertive at all. And when I grew to be a teacher, I said, I do not want other children to, you know, make the same mistakes I did. So I, I started studying about bullying, started studying about conflict resolution, and started doing you know, a lot of, uh, you know, like circles in my class and, you know, conflict mediation with students and that sort of thing. And actually, at one point, we had an entire program that we were doing at our school. And um, Dean Bernal, who's created a few videos with that, he had the video uh, resolutions with um, using his story of befriending a wild dolphin, came and actually filmed us and used some of uh, the videos of, of the children with conflict resolution um, in his films. Yeah, so that was very exciting, and, and it was a real honor to be part of that, too. Uh, my story, uh, I remember Nick Nolte, uh, not the actor, but in, back in elementary school, and he was bullying me out on the playground, and and it was persistent. And then I was on vacation in Mexico, and I ran into Nick in Baja, and I'm like, great, <laughs> now the bullies followed me on vacation. <laughs> yeah. and now then, what do you do? And then there was a... Then, <laughs> Run, run, Andy, run. <laughs> Unfortunately, Nick, uh, I read later he was on a rainy day in Diamond Bar, California. He was near a flooded culvert and was swept into the culvert and unfortunately passed away. Oh, and I just remember as a child how I felt about, I mean, obviously someone dying was a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had those feelings about this bully and... So, uh, I, yeah, so it, it was, it, it, I still remember him to this day. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. And the other, the other uh, thing that I think is interesting about your writing is you, it's art and it's creativity and it's almost, I mean, you're putting it into an action story and mm-hmm. I just, I mean, instead of guns, they're getting paintbrushes. And yes, Can you yes. tell me, how did um, you come up with that? Um, well, actually... I came up with this because I'm an educator, and um, I won't say who, but I did go to a, a huge meeting of teachers with a superintendent some years ago, and the superintendent addressed all of us teachers and asked us, 
what do you think is the most important thing you do as educators? And I remember thinking, inspire children, build self-esteem, help them to feel good about themselves. And what this person said was test scores. Test scores are the most important thing you do as a, t as a teacher. And I remember being shocked. And I started to think of creativity as this thing we were killing in children with, you know, all of the testing, because that was during the whole Bush administration, you know, no child left behind, you know, drill and kill times. And that's when I came up with the idea of an entire world created by art that was threatened by the shadow swine who were trying to destroy art. And to me, the shadow swine represent all government entities that are trying to, and people that are trying to, to squelch that beautiful place inside all, of all of us. Yes. Yeah. I really, yeah, I've uh, talked a lot on this podcast that, that there's a certain percentage of kids that are going to be attracted to creative pursuits. And in the interest of serving all of our children and the multiple intelligences that we have to have a well-rounded curriculum. No, I agree. And yeah. we haven't done very much in the arts. I mean, you and I have been mm -hmm. doing it uh, mm -hmm. in the classroom, and and it's uh, it's the district really hasn't promoted the arts too much. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, there is some state money, mm -hmm. so they are moving together uh, with a more ambitious arts plan. But but it took. It always takes a state to nudge them. Yes, it does, yeah. No, I believe that everybody has a beautiful part of themselves, their creative side. Some people are, are artists, some people are singers, some people are dancers, some people are football players and, and can play football artistically. And when we honor that, you know, I, I think there's a lot of peace in, in the classroom and peace within ourselves, you know. But when we deny our true selves, you know, I think... I think that's like living in, you know, like with the shadow swine. It's like letting the shadow swine take over, you know, and and destroy, you know, our beautiful dreams. Yeah. Well, yeah. our economy has changed, and we're not making widgets anymore. We're not making toothpaste here or records in Santa Maria. We have a creative economy, and and I just think the schools to different degrees ha haven't caught up with promoting some of these skills where we seem to be still stuck in the, in the 19th century, as far as our uh -huh. system goes. Uh -huh. uh, actually, that's something that I do like about common core is it does encourage creativity. It does ask children their, their opinions and try to come up with creative ways. Like in math, come up with your own algorithm for, you know, this word problem and so on. So yeah, there's some changes. There's some hope out there. And I see it in the beautiful little munchkins, too. They, they do a, a lot of beautiful, creative things, too. Yeah. Now, these books, this Artania series, mm -hmm. uh, did you plan them out a la J.K. Rowling? Did you kind of outline them? And Well, the way that I did Artania is I, I wrote the first book. I mean, I knew I wanted to create a whole world um, made of art. So whenever anybody puts pen to paper or paint to canvas there's a birth of a beautiful being 
but when people turn away from art, it gives rise and power to these monsters I call shadow spine. And I also thought, well, how would this place be populated? I thought, well, they would be populated with different genres of art. So I have a land of antiquities, which is the first book, and that has the ancient Egyptians, the Romans, it's, and Greeks, etc. Then I have the Renaissance nation, which is populated with, you know, Mona Lisa, you know, the the art of, you know, um, Leonardo da Vinci and, you know, Rembrandt, etc. Then I have the Impressionist Republic, which has, you know, Impressionist art of, you know, Monet, Manet, Van Gogh, you know, Mary Cassatt, etc. Um, then I have um, th my last book, which is Persistence of Memory, is in Surrealia, which is populated with surrealistic art, you know. So I have, you know, a lot of, you know, Dolly and Gaudi and Frida Kahlo and, th and that sort of thing. So each land, it, it has not only that art genre, but it also has the technology of the time when that genre was popular. So for instance, in Persistence of Memory, that you know, in Surrealia, that's like 1920s Spain. And I was in Spain a few years ago doing research, which was a wonderful, if you don't have a chance to go, you should go. It's beautiful. I was able to see Salvador Dali's home and, and his museum. Oh gosh, amazing man. Like talk about imagination. Wow. And wow. you've taken several research trips to I have, work yes. on your books? Yes, yes, yes. So and I've been I've been to France too and, and been to you know, some of the places where you know, Manet and Monet have been to Paris and southern France. I've been to Italy, so for Renaissance Nation it takes place partially in, in Florence and partially in Venice, you know, and I've been to both Florence and Venice and I used those trips as uh, part of the background to kind of, you know, fla flavor the novel there too. And I've been to Great Britain several times. So my third novel, um, Dragon Sky, it takes place during the Gothic period. And so I was able to see a lot of Gothic art when I, I've been to Great Britain three times now. Yeah. So when I traveled there, so that was, that was wonderful. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, my dad uh, retired in near Arles, and he became an expert in Van Gogh. And he would give tours, mm -hmm. like uh, the yellow, the night cafe is in Arles, and the where mm -hmm. the yellow house was. Yes, yeah. And uh, he said he he looked at Van Gogh's irises, and he saw that white iris, and he identified with that white iris, and. And then made his life out there in mm -hmm. the footsteps of Van Gogh. Uh huh. Yeah, Van Gogh's art's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, have you been to the hospital where uh, the where he was? Uh, no, no. But I've seen his art in several museums throughout the world. Yeah. yeah there's not yeah. much of his art in Arles. Uh huh. Yes. Uh, but gosh, I was in Chicago uh -huh. and saw some Van Gogh this yeah. summer. Yeah. No, and he's he's a character in uh, Book Four of Artania, and that was a lot of fun. You know, <laughs> writing him in a in a different way. Yes, yeah, he's a silent artist. Uh, yes. Well, he book. was a he was a sensitive soul. He was, he was. So he helps to guide my my young heroes, you know, on their path in that book. Yes, yeah. Every every book they also have a little bit of a guide. You know, they have a, a wise guide that helps them to to achieve a task. There are seven. There will be seven books in all. And there's a task in each book. So the first book, 12 Pharaohs have been kidnapped. The second book, Mona Lisa has been captured by pirates and the boys have to rescue her. The third book, dragons have disappeared from Artania and, and, and they need to return them to the skies. The, the fourth book is Portal Rift and the portals are opening and closing. 
you know, and no one knows why. And in the fifth book, which I was trying to do something different, because like, okay, I've done Kidnapped, I've done this, I've done a quest, what do I do? Um, is Persistence of Memory, which is actually that, you know, that famous clock, you know, painting by, by Dolly. And I have amnesia spreading throughout Artania, you know, and the Alzheimer's. Chef. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or sometimes I think I have. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have amnesia spreading throughout Artania, and it's up to you know my two young heroes to to stop it. And 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 Bartholomew, who's um, one of my two two young heroes, I feel really bad for because he, before he, um, he was ever born, his his father drowned in a mud puddle, and that made his his mom absolutely obsessed with cleanliness. So she makes him bathe five times a day, bans all art or anything that could be messy. And, and so he can only create in secret, but he has this essential need to create. Well, his, and uh, I, when I saw that, I thought, I mean, there was a little bit of hu dark humor I felt in the beginning in that it was a bleach empire, which I thought yeah. was hilarious. Yes, yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> drowning in a mud puddle yes, yes. was uh, kind of a dark, uh, but yeah, he he is a boy that's growing up in kind of an impressive environment. Um, his mom's a germaphone and he, he she won't let him have what he really desires. Yeah, he has to create in secret. Yes, yeah, but luckily his grandfather, um, made a secret studio for him underneath the uh, the mansion, so he can he can sneak into there and with enough art supplies to la last a lifetime, so he can s steal away to the secret studio and and create. Yes, yeah. I was a little unclear. I know that his grandfather died, uh -huh. and then all of a sudden he had to move to Santa Barbara. That was in the will. The will required that he and his mother moved to Santa Barbara where the secret studio was um, in order to inherit, you know, the, the Borax fortune. So high That's Jeanette, a pretty bossy will there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, well, Jeanette was so uptight about cleaning. You know, Grandfather Borax knew that was the only way he was going to ever, you know, help his grandson to be able to create the way he needed to because he, he he's had actually created with his grandson secretly when Hygenet wasn't looking. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so... And then yeah. the other character in um, Pharaoh's Cry is, Bartho is Alex, uh, Alex. Yes. and and what's kind of tragic is his his mom has a heart attack and is sick through the story. Yes, and, um, and he just and that's got to be heal. the worst. It is, yeah, and he just wants to heal her. And not only does he want to heal her, it makes him more sympathetic to any suffering and so that becomes his troublesome backstory for all all the novels that you know he hates to see suffering he say, hates to see sickness and he wants to keep her safe so you know that witness of her heart attack you know is is something that drives all of his behaviors you know from that novel forward and actually i'm working on the screenplay right now and uh yeah so it, it definitely drives him through the screenplay as well yeah and so you're adapting uh, are you what yes. are you using as the basis for your screenplay? Artania one. Yes. Oh, the first one. Yes, yes. Uh. I'm making a lot of a lot of changes. I'm working with a, a Hollywood uh, screenwriter and director friend of mine, Leland, Leland Zates, who's just brilliant, and he's been uh, he's been helping me because I've I've only written a couple screenplays and I'm I'm a newbie, still learning. It's and it's a whole nother animal from novel writing. I tell you. It's, yeah, so you have to write to learn to write in that other direction, which is very visual, you know, 
as opposed to, you know, you can't wax poetic, you know, like you can in, in novels, which I sometimes do. Well, you um, seem to kind of keep it, keep it moving. I try. I try because I try, I try to put myself in, in a child's mind. I try to think, well, what would be fun? What would be cool? You know, if I was a kid, would I think this would be fun to read? And I try to write, write that way. And I, ho I hope, I hope that uh, kids enjoy it. They say they do. So I hope so. Yeah. Do you get a lot of feedback uh, from your readers? That must be very I get, satisfying. It is. It is very satisfying. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty, yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah, it's really fun when you get, you know, fans, you know. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. And it sounds like as far as taking this, these stories, you're talking about a screenplay. Uh, also, uh, you talked about video games, that there's a lot of possibilities. Mm -hmm. that, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's actually, as far as I know, it's the only novel series where there's an entire world created by art. And I've looked. I've gone to bookstores oh. and librarians and comic book stores and so on, and I can't find any other you know novels where an entire world is created with art and art is a super pure uh sorry superpower uh i think it's pretty cool yeah so. yeah mm -hmm. well you took two boys mm -hmm. who ride skateboards and one and they're kind of an odd couple the one is uh rich and maybe a little awkward and comes from this uh more kind of a an abusive environment and and then the other one seems to be a little bit more working class. He's got his skateboard friends. Mm -hmm. And so you got kind of the odd couple, first of all. That, exactly. That yeah. Yeah. I think that works, too. Yeah. Yeah. Opposites attract. Yeah. And then they, they're they in this scary world where people, pig people. <laughs> shadow swine. <laughs> pig man. The swine. I like pig. Shadow swine. The shadow swine. Yes, and they're yes. grabbing people. Uh, and, Grabbing them through the dirt and man, that is dark. It's, it's yeah, they're kind of scary. Actually, uh, my, my little niece it was too scary for her to read my book. <laughs> so when I've talked to other parents, I was like, well, I think that's a little scary. Well, it's yeah. such a juxtaposition that you have art and yeah. anti-bullying, and then you're like, war, you know. <laughs> yes. But yes, that's yes, you want to you want to grab. Those it's a little Lord of the Rings too, you know, because the shadows are a little bit like orcs. You know, they're hunchback, yellow-eyed you know, slime-covered creatures that invade dreams and, and are trying to take over Artani and make all Artanian slaves. Yeah, so, yeah, they're pretty scary. Yeah. And then yeah. the last part, the last half of the book seems to be just one big action movie. I tell you. <laughs> I can yeah, see I like, Bruce Willis. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. yeah, I like writing battle scenes. I didn't think I would, but it, it's kind of fun. Uh -huh. You know, all the sword uh -huh. play and everything. It's kind of, you know... You know, you act it out while you're writing it. Is that, is that, I, um, I was just curious because your novel is pretty visual and I was no, like, thank wow. You. Thank you. Have I you, try. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, uh, the, the, uh, the swine, the shadow swine. Um, I mean, have you, uh, had anyone put some of your writing to visuals? Uh, do you, well, do you kind of um, use that? I was going to self-publish Artania one right before I got a, a publishing deal and I'd hired a Disney artist. So the cover art for Artania one with the shadow swine and so on were done by Dave Zaboski, who actually worked on Aladdin and some other Dis Disney films. 
So, yeah, so I have hired people, you know, to do so. I would love to do more. I just thought it'd be really fun to do a graphic novel of Artania because I think Artania would really lend itself to a graphic novel. I think that would be a blast. But I don't even know how I would broach that. And I've never, I have not broached my uh, publisher for that. W we are working on a light novel for the Japanese market. So what I did do um, last year is I rewrote Artania 1 and the light novel is a very shortened version. So, it, you know, Artania is 300 pages and I had to cut basically half of it. Um, so to just shrink it down and make it much simpler for the, the light novel market. I still haven't heard back whether they were happy with my draft or not. We'll see. What do you mean yeah. the light? There's a, there's a new um, market. It's called the light novel. And it's novels that are like novellas. They're shorter. Um, so what my publisher um, sent out an email to, to all of its authors and said, well, we're, you know, we're trying to, you know, test the waters of this new market and it's very popular in Japan. And they asked for volunteers and I volunteered. Yeah. So and I so I rewrote Artania one for, for the light uh, novel market is what I did. Yeah. So what is your target audience for this series? Um, tweeners tweeners probably like 10 year olds to 14 year olds and then actually even adults you know I try to you know put in things for adults and I did follow the Harry Potter model in that my characters age with, with each novel so they're 11 in book one oh, okay. 12 in book two da, 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 da. and they'll be 17 by the time I write book seven I just have two more to write I've written five I, I'm gonna and I'm once again following the Harry Potter Potter model you know write seven I've got two more book seven I already know is gonna be this gigantic battle it's gonna be all the lands against all the shadows one it's gonna be fun um book six I'm trying to decide because I've I feel like I've let's see I've done surrealistic art renaissance art antiquities gothic um and I'm trying to think what else gothic and impressionist and I'm trying to think what other major art periods are there that would be rife with characters and, and ideas that you could have really, you know, a lot of fun with and battles with and stuff, you know. Russia. <laughs> Russian art. I... No religious. No, no. I, I, uh, I completely avoid that. I, I don't want to be controversial in any way, shape, no. or form. No, I don't, I don't go there. Yeah, so, the one no. thing I enjoyed was I grew up in, in uh, Santa Barbara. I went to high school and my ex-wife lived in Montecito. Oh, so, cool. you know, uh, you have, mm -hmm. you know, these fantasy characters and, yes. and uh, mm -hmm. Alex is out on the uh, on the pier and, and mm -hmm. seeing yes. the surfer. And the, yes. Yeah. 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 Do, are, do you have connections to Santa Barbara? Well, I, I've hung out there a lot. Just but but honestly, I, while I was writing the book and, you know, subsequent books, I hung out next to the skate park and watched the kids skating. And I did actually even bought a skateboard and tried to skate, but I suck, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I did a lot of research. Just I would just sit there. I would sit at the beach and just kind of imagine what what it would be like for those little skater kids and stuff. And yeah. And the beginning of that story, it also told an old story of Santa Barbara, which is the old money. Uh -huh. coming from the East Coast mm -hmm. and ending up in Santa Barbara. So. Oh, oh, true. Yeah, yeah I hadn't thought yeah, of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. So what is, uh, so what, you're working on the last two books, and so what is your work schedule looking like right now? Um, well, actually, I'm taking a break. Book five came out in January, so so I was starting on a whole nother 
uh, a sci-fi novel, a time travel sci-fi novel is what I was starting on. And then I was going to come back to these books in about a year is what I was going to do. I just wanted to genre jump just because I thought it'd be fun. And also because I didn't, hadn't decided what I want to do with six and seven yet. Yeah. So sci-fi. So yeah. how far have you gotten on that? Um, just a couple of chapters. Quite honestly, my mother's been very ill this year. And it's uh, I have not uh, had a lot of the space for writing like usual. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you've been working. You work full time. So you're so inspiring to me because, you know, we got to do our art, even though we're working. Yes. Yes. You know, we work to make time to pursue our artistic interests. Yes, yes. I have to. When I don't, I feel off. If I don't start the day writing, it just feels like something's wrong. And it's, and it's the time I just get to be me. I'm not teacher Lori or, or daughter Lori or mom Lori or anything else. I'm just me. And it's just me and my imagination and... I, I love it. I love it. That's one of the reasons I plan to retire in here because I, I want to do more of it. I've got so many ideas and I just don't have, you know, the time to put everything to paper, you know. So. Yeah, that's kind of the way I feel is that mm-hmm. uh, as I start picking up interest in projects, mm-hmm. it, it just working full time takes a lot out of you and uh especially these days certainly yeah. necessary but uh but you and I are looking forward to a retirement where we may have a mm-hmm. little bit more time to pursue that mm-hmm. sure yes yeah. what authors were you a science fiction uh reader I, I love science fiction I love it stranger in a S- strange land by Robert Heinlein is is probably my favorite novel of all times I've probably read it 10 times. I've read Dune probably 10 times. Um, the Asimov series. I love the Foundation series. Arthur Clarke. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the classic sci-fi. You know, so, yeah. I, I, st- I still read a lot of sci-fi. Love it. And I, I love, I love all kinds of genres, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think as you take a break from the series, reading kind of helps you, you know, recharge and mm-hmm. get some inspiration. Well, no, that's something that I would advise anybody that wants to go into writing. Read your genre. If you want to write comedy, read, you know, comedy novels, read comedy sketches, read comedy plays. If you want to write fantasy, read a lot of fantasy. If you want to write sci-fi, same thing. Yeah, that That's what I've done with all my novels. You know, like like I, I did Finding Joy about three years ago, and it was a, a coming-of-age novel about a young teenager who comes from domestic abuse and she's trying to navigate her way you know to adulthood with this whole backdrop uh, backdrop of uh, you know abuse and that was very challenging but I, I read you know Margaret Atwood and you know many many others that uh, that wrote more literary novels I, I, I read a lot uh, of literary novels at the time yeah so that I would you know be inspired and also to kind of get that voice because the voice that I had in Finding Joy is very different than the voice, you know, for the Artania series, which also, which is also very different from the voice for Dean and Jojo because I pretended to be Dean when I was working on that or the voice that I'm using now for, for this, uh, you know, Murmurations is, is my working uh, title of the time travel book that I'm working on. Yeah. yeah. And it, it took you a while. I know that, I mean, there, there's one thing doing the writing but also promoting yourself and getting published. And I know you had a, you know, there's a number of years that. Yes, yes, yes. Well, 
I had um, I wrote my first book, Four Secrets, which is a middle grade um, fantasy novel, environmental fantasy about a girl that uh, finds a, a lost tree creature and uncovers a whole plot to destroy the forest and then takes it upon herself to reunite uh, Kalyanda with her parents and save the forest. And that I self-published. And then um, when I wrote Artani, I started sending out to a lot of publishers, you know, and I got rejection after rejection after rejection. I got close with Random House, though. It actually got all the way to committee, and they, but then they ended up ultimately rejecting it. And then I, I said, okay, I'll just write book two. Then I'll write book three, and I'll just keep going. And, you know, I believe in the story. I think it's unique. I, I believe in the message. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. And, I'll, and I know I'll get better. I'll be working on craft the whole time. And uh, fast forward 10 years. 10, ten years. 10 years I got rejections on Artania. And then I finally, the small publisher called uh, Next Chapter, I sent it to, sent Artania one and told them I had three in a series. And not only did I get a one-book deal, I got a three-book deal. Three-book deal. Great, great royalty package and so on, which was very, very nice. And actually, they've published now six of my novels, you know, five of the Artania and then Finding Joy. So six of my novels have been published with them, which is, uh, you know, so dreams do come true, you know. You just That's one thing that I... I start the year with, with my students about tenacity, you know, and talking about that, that if you want your dreams to come true, you just got to keep plugging away and plugging away. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight, but it can. Yeah, and it's exciting when it does. Yes. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much coming today. And you are going to do a, a reading. And uh, if you could set up the reading for me. Okay, well, this is from book five, Persistence of Memory. Um, I don't think that you need any sort of a preface in order to jump in, because the way I wrote the novels was you could jump in at any any place. You don't have to read book one through four in order to be, uh, yeah, yeah. Persistence of Memory, Chapter 1. Rubbing the dust from his eyes, Bartholomew Borax III glanced up at the crumbling arch. The curved monument teetered and several of its carved bats took to flight. A few bricks overhead wavered and loosened. Alex, watch out! he cried, shoving his best friend out of the way. Alexander da Vinci bounced off a wrought iron post bordering the wide promenade to land safely on all fours a few feet away. The mass plummeted down a split second later and crashed with a tremendous boom. Choking dust swirled, darkening the painted sky. Bartholomew knelt at Alex's side. The 15-year-old's face was streaked with dirt, and his brown curls had a coat of dust. You okay? Coughing, Alex gave him a thumbs up. The ground rumbled again, and long, jagged cracks appeared in the crushed granite pathway. They widened, and dark heads emerged from the splintered soil. Yellow eyes glared from hairless brows as porcine noses sniffed the air. Alex groaned. No freaking way. Bartholomew pulled Alex to his feet and surveyed the triumphal arch. The red monument was roughly 90 feet high and half as wide. It looked Moorish and both sides were framed with pairs of brick columns capped with decorative crowns. The front frieze above the arch was carved with multiple people who were now whimpering and cowering in fear. Above them, two sculpted lions held up a large shield and crown. Help us, Bartholomew cried. The stone felines bowed noble heads and roared. They hurled off their perch and landed with a thud. 
their etched muscles rippled before turning to face the emerging army. It won't be enough, Alec said. I know. Bartholomew turned in a circle. True art, true art, what can I create? He'd only been in this unfamiliar place for scant minutes, so didn't know the lay of the land. But after multiple journeys into the mystical Artania, the blonde teen had learned that if he could work paint, clay, or wood, the creation magic would do the rest. He and his fellow deliverer, Alex, had made amazing things these past five years. From swords to skateboards and dragons to great snakes, they had wrought weapons and comrades in this long war against the Shadow Swine. But still, Sickheart's army returned ever stronger with new tricks and powers, like today. An axe-wielding shadow swine swung at the first lion. His blade skirted the beautiful sculpture's mane and a furry clump fell to the ground. With a snarl, the lion jumped back. Bartholomew grabbed Alex's arm. We have to do something. Tell me something I don't know. Alex kicked at the pile of dry leaves crunching underfoot, and they fluttered through the air. Bartholomew glanced at the drifting leaves. Might it work? He closed his eyes and focused on the image. Scooping up a handful, he turned to Alex. Remember Subterranea? They battled well. Of course, I should have thought of that. Bending down, Alex brushed away debris, exposing the moist soil below. He plunged his hands into the clay and formed them into a mound. Bartholomew plopped some leaves onto Alex's pile, then more and more. The two boys molded the materials into an animal shape. Without a word, they both knew where to place their hands. They scooped, pulled, and smoothed as if their minds were one. Fingers tugged and pressed, sculpting faster and faster. A leg appeared, then another. Paws, a larger-than-life head. Soon they were moving at the speed of light. One final pinch, and the sculpture shimmered. Fur sprouted all over its body. Two silvery eyes looked up at them. Bartholomew sat back on his haunches and smiled. Glorious. He had but a microsecond to admire the work before the hunchback swiney was upon them. His yellow eyes narrowed as he bared jagged teeth. With a long swipe of his battle axe, the pig-nosed creature chucked a stone line aside. He raised an arm to attack the second when the newly sculpted wolf lowered its head and butt him in the gut. The slimy creature toppled over. More! Alex scooped up a fresh handful of mud, and the boys repeated their sculpting performance, this time faster than the speed of light. Within seconds, half a dozen wolves were growling and snapping at the jackbooted army. For a moment, all was silence. Then, as if a great unmute button had just been pressed, a cacophonous roar filled the air. Wolves ripped into the burly swineys. The largest leaped at a tall shadow swine, knocking the monster on its back. Others hurtled toward a dog mudlark with red glowing eyes, one ear completely gone and the other in jagged shreds. The black lab's contorted face was scarred and twisted as if raking claws had hollowed out great swaths of skin. Still it dodged two swipes before falling. Three snarling wolves closed in on a spike-wielding swiney. The monster swung once, twice, three times. The newly formed canine snapped at his heels. Then one wolf clamped down on the shadow swine's trench coat. The monster stumbled. Bartholomew had just dug up a handful of soil to form a sword when he felt the vibration. His hand began to shimmer. Shaking his head, he glanced over at Alex, who appeared to be filled with sparkling glitter. He shrugged at his friend, Anartania.
faded from view. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for that. And we're going to go out uh, with music from a band called Rubble Bucket. And we had a chance in San Francisco to go to the Fillmore. And you, I know you liked it because it was art rock. <laughs> and it's a it little fun. bit, it's a little <laughs> bit of Bjork meets Fela Kuti Afrobeats. So, <laughs> so it's always fun to share, share my passion for music with others. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. It. Okay. You too. reached the end of another Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. My special thanks to Lori Woodward. I can be reached on Facebook at Andy Watson and we are on at Gmail at Cowboy Jeff and Andy at gmail.com all lowercase. So I will see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>